District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Welcome to a brand new week of District of Conservation episodes. I am your host, Gabriella Hoffman. I have some interesting stuff on the docket today relating to American gun and ammunition companies stepping up big time to help Ukraine when it comes to supplies and for their military and even civilian forces, I think, too. But some quick items I want to run through. I just spoke at Appalachian State University. It was a good event, kind of a smaller turnout just before spring break, but the kids were great. It was a good discussion and we had great response, I think, even online. We had a lot of people tuning in, so thank you to those of you who tuned in as well. This Thursday, I'm making my return to Florida State University where we're going to talk similarly about how conservation is conservative. A lot of people have been requesting me to speak on this subject, so I am super, super grateful that I can do that. But there's another speech that I'm doing. It's 7 p.m. Eastern time this Thursday. There will be an accompanying broadcast as well from Tallahassee. And then there will be a few weeks off from speaking engagements, and then I'll be re-upping those again. But as those dates become closer... I will go more into detail, but we have, gosh, so many more dates coming up at different campuses, conferences, and you will all be notified as to when those take place. But check out Florida State University's speech featuring yours truly if you're in the area or if you want to tune in virtually, that option will also be available. But today, let's focus on what some of the companies here who often get maligned by anti-gun and gun control groups and what they're doing to actually help Ukraine. Not just simply virtue signal, but what they're doing to support it. So I will list out that and then how it relates to the Second Amendment. Without delving so much into foreign policy, because this is a conservation and energy-themed podcast, I do know a little bit about Ukraine's history. It's kind of a cousin country to where my family is from in Eastern Europe and Lithuania. And Ukraine has been struggling for a long time to be independent across Soviet occupation, and then now as a free and independent country. And a lot of people like to point to the fact that the country is corrupt. Some are arguing it's more corrupt than Russia, which is totally baseless. There's no evidence for that. There is corruption, but it's largely from Kremlin holdovers in the government who are the corrupt ones. I think that's what people fail to understand. But that aside, the caveats aside, Ukraine is a very Western country. Ukrainians know a lot about hardship. If you don't know historically some of the stuff they've been through, Golodomor, which is one of the worst genocides and famines to ever be recorded. A lot of American media companies obfuscated the truth in the 1930s when that was happening. There's actually a great film called Mr. Jones, which I have yet to see, that talks about how a reporter from the British Isles or from Great Britain was embedded there and actually recorded the real horrors of Golodomor. And then There's a New York Times Moscow correspondent, Walter Durante, who was an apologist for that, and so he whitewashed the crimes. Something you need to know about that. So even beyond its history, its early history as part of Kievan Rus, let's look at the 20th century, and that's what I'm doing here. So Ukraine hasn't really been able to catch a break from Soviet occupation, a little bit with Nazi occupation, to Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, when both dictators Stalin and Hitler were in an agreement that was violated in 1939. And much like Lithuania, where my parents are from, there was a great reshuffling between control, largely in the control of the Soviets. And they arguably had probably 
some of the worst casualty numbers, some of the most horrific stuff to happen. It doesn't really matter the size of the country. I, I weigh all the horrors equally. But when they became independent finally in the 90s, they still were dealing with some resistance. And in the early 2000s, they finally had opportunities to get rid of Kremlin-backed oligarchs and apparatchiks from government. And they elected a guy to do that. And he later suffered poison attempts, was ousted from government eventually, and a Kremlin-backed Ukrainian president, Yanukovych, was basically installed. And then in 2014, Ukrainians held protests called Maidan or Euromaidan to rid the country of the last vestiges of corruption. Some people, and it's really disgusting to see people parrot talking points from the Kremlin, they said that this was like a globalist-backed event. Having been to protests here in the States when that was transpiring during Euromaidan and when, unfortunately, the Russians took over Crimea, that was not some sort of shadowy globalist event. That was a pretty organized, organic event, revolution, and that really is what started to usher in Ukraine into modern days. And then the election of Volodymyr Zelensky, I think, is was a slap against corruption, things of that sort. So Zelensky, a lot of people in American media dismissed him. They thought he was a joke because he's a comedian. And now it's funny that everyone loves him, despite having uh, kind of discounted him in the past. Very interesting how things turn out there. But in wake of all of this, in, in the invasion in Ukraine, there has been, an, I guess, a newfound appreciation for the Second Amendment in Ukraine. The country previously had pretty strict gun control policies in place. Ownership of firearms was pretty sparse. And this is how everything is interrelated. But I gave you kind of a crash course of Ukraine's struggle for independence, kind of what detractors are saying about the country, that it's worthless and corrupt, and therefore the United States shouldn't be supporting or people shouldn't be offering symbolic support, and that's hogwash. We definitely should. They have a lot of shared interests with us. And if you claim to be anti-communist and you're not supporting Ukraine, (laughs) you really are not anti-communist. And from Stephen Gutowski, and I think I cited this in articles and maybe previously in a few episodes before because it seems like the news cycle has revolved and recycled a lot, but he wrote an article how the country's parliament in Ukraine had voted in late February to expand civilian gun ownership. The majority of the parliament voted for it. I think it was 274 of the 450 elected representatives. The bill would formalize the country's gun laws, allow more civilians to own and carry guns, and allow them to be used for self-defense in more places. And the authors of the bill argued it is fully in the interest of the state and society due to existing threats and dangers for the citizens of Ukraine. According to CTV News out of Canada, Stephen had cited a lot of civilians who had talked to different news outlets about the need for them to take care of themselves Their worries about people invading their homes, Russian invaders invading their homes, how to protect their families, and how people are buying semi-automatic AK-47s and other rifles that a lot of people here in the States denounce. And it was really funny to see an account called Occupy Democrats say AR-15s to the effect are assault weapons. Those should be never in possession by civilians. Yet when Russia invaded Ukraine, they changed their tune and said Ukrainians should have AR-15s or semi-automatic rifles, which is ridiculous. It should be applied consistently. It shouldn't take an invasion for people to realize 
the importance of having gun ownership. And Ukrainians, you talk to any Eastern European, Lithuanians, Poles, even Russians too who dislike Putin. There's actually really strong support for guns in, and the Second Amendment among those of us who have ties to Eastern Europe because we recognize our history. The first thing that a lot of these di dictators did was they took guns first and foremost to destabilize a population and eventually take over. That's the first step to transitioning into a socialist society. They disarm people. So we recognize our history and Ukrainians are a prime example of that. So that's kind of a quick overview why it's not atypical to see Ukrainians want to have guns. And you probably all have seen on TV different parliament members going on TV saying they have AK-47s, they have AR-15s, they're ready to defend this country, they don't have formal training, they're not military or former military, but they just love their country, they want to safeguard and protect their freedoms and keep the country sovereign and free of Kremlin influence, and that's really noble and should be commended. And that is where American gun and firearms companies have come in to support Ukraine, recognizing the seeing the shared similarities in terms of wanting to protect Second Amendment rights, even though Ukraine doesn't have a formal Second Amendment. Actually, very few countries, I think, aside from the United States, the only two other countries I've seen that guarantee some form of a Second Amendment in their respective countries, I think one is Mexico to an extent, but Mexico is very complex. And then Guatemala is another country I've seen. And then European countries allow you to own guns, but it's extremely difficult. It's on a May issue basis for the most part in most countries where most people in Europe, especially they own guns for hunting, which is not why we own guns here in this country. That's kind of a secondary or tertiary interest or motivation behind gun ownership here in the United States. I wanted to pull from a study that I recall from 2013 about firearms ownership in the European Union and Ukraine is not a part of the EU or NATO, maybe it'll soon be part of those two organizations. But what I found interesting in terms of their examination into what were the motivations or reasons why you as a European owner use firearms. And the two countries that actually said the majority of those respondents who own firearms, I love seeing this personally, Lithuania was one of them and then also the Czech Republic. So Lithuania and Czech Republic said the largest reason why they own firearms, is for personal protection. So in the Czech Republic, of the respondents they spoke to, 43% said personal protection, 30% said sports, 37% said for professional reasons, police, army, security. And in Lithuania, again, it was 43% said personal protection. For professional reasons, it was 28%. And then sports, it was 12%. And then for hunting, it was 16%. So the large share of Lithuanians, according to this, also support it for personal defense. So every country is different, but most European countries tend to support it for police because they worked in the armed forces or in police forces and largely for hunting. Actually, hunting was the biggest share of reasons why people own guns. So very different from here. Maybe this unfortunate crisis will awaken European countries to the fact that Maybe it is wise to have Second Amendment safeguards in their constitutions. I'm not sure if that will change because Brussels, the EU, is very, very opposed to firearms ownership, even more so virulently opposed than American gun control groups. But that's an interesting factoid I want you guys to look at, and I'll include the study for you to review for yourself. But again, Ukraine is not a part of the EU, 
But it was just interesting to draw parallels between countries that border Ukraine or somewhat close to Ukraine or had shared suffering like Ukraine in the instance of Lithuania and Czech Republic because Lithuania is separated from Ukraine with Belarus. So they're not exactly neighbors, but you Lithuania supports Ukraine a lot in this crusade, of course. But that's what you have to know about firearms ownership in Europe a little bit. Now, what are the companies that have pledged support? If you're looking for ammunition... And largely, I think a lot of these companies are supporting Ukraine on the side of ammunition. So there was Remington, CCI, Spear, and Federal Ammunition. They have all pledged a million round ammunition donations to the Ukraine Armed Forces. And this is according to a piece in Shooting Sports USA, I think which is owned by the NRA. And Jason Vanderbrink is said to have said this. They're not only going to provide... 1 million rands of ammo, they're going to create special t-shirts with all the profits going to aid refugees in war-torn Ukraine. The shirts will supplement the ammunition donation as well as help spread the word regarding the global need, global support of Ukraine and its citizens. Quote, the war in Ukraine has displaced millions of citizens and exposed average people to the horrors of war, said Jason Vanderbink. Supporting the relief effort is a crucial element of the global response, and we are proud to do our part. It underscores how critical the Second Amendment is in America and highlights the importance of the ability of American manufacturers to supply our allies with ammunition. We've long supported Ukrainian armed forces, and we will continue to do so in this global clause to unite for democracy, end quote. There is also support for Ukraine, even more expanded from Zero Delta, which is actually a company that is run by a husband and wife duo that I know pretty well. I'm very good friends with the wife, Rocky Harrigan. And maybe sometime this week, we're going to have them on. But their company, I think, even went into more detail, according to an Instagram post. They said, President Zelensky says he wants ammunition, not a ride. There's actually kind of context for the reason why American companies are stepping up with armaments, especially with respect to ammunition, is the fact that our government apparently offered President Zelensky an evacuation route, an evacuation plan, or a plane to exit the country, to which he responded that he doesn't want to ride, he just wants ammunition. It's become kind of an iconic line now for his bravery and for kind of keeping good faith and good rapport with his fellow Ukrainians and keeping the morale high. And Zero Delta kind of explained what they're planning to offer the Ukrainian armed forces. And this is something that I think a lot of people don't know in terms of supplies. So they said that they heard President Zelensky's call. And they said that Zero Delta is proud to be the only manufacturer of 12.7 by 108 ammunition in the Western Hemisphere. And even more proud to be fueling the Ukrainian defense with vital 12.7 heavy machine gun ammunition. Zero Delta has always been an advocate of freedom and will continue to do so by supporting the Ukrainians' fight for freedom. As many of you may know, Ukraine has not been integrated into NATO by the time of the Russian invasion. Because of this, a majority of weapon systems are of Russian origin and design. Zero Delta is the only manufacturer of this particular bullet in the West, and we will use our manufacturing capacity to support Ukraine's heavy weapon system with vital ammunition, Slava Ukraine, which means glory to Ukraine in Ukrainian English translation. And so a lot of companies are heeding the call. And similar to that, there was a group that National Shooting Sports Foundation's Mark Oliva had pointed to. And actually one of the founders is Ukrainian born from Kiev. And they also said that they have an office in Odessa, which is the area on the Black Sea that's been bombarded a lot. So 
in their message, this is A&T Corp, and I think they specialize in optics primarily. And the gentleman who's the co-founder who was born in Ukraine is named Mark Vaughn, and he's the founder of ATN. This is my first time writing for help from our friends and customers, but I believe the urgency of today's situation calls for it. Although I grew up in the U.S. and am an American first, I was born in Kiev, Ukraine, and our company has an office in Odessa. We are focused on bringing desperately needed supplies to help Ukrainians fight. There are so many who have volunteered and are ready to fight to the end to make your heart sweep. Many have nothing more than a rifle with a few bullets. We want to help, and fortunately, we can do this now. We have staff on the ground near the border and in Bulgaria and are ready to bring shipments in quickly through the Ukrainian borders where they are met by volunteers to drive the goods into the flying fighting zones. We are donating our own money and are reaching out to our friends and community for help. And for the first time, we're asking you, our customers, to do what you can. Our politicians talk a lot, but in the end, no one is helping Ukraine but Ukrainians. A lot of hot air is being pushed around by politician windbags. We'll do very little. And so that's really cool to see that even different companies are just offering support even beyond ammunition. And so they claim as of today, there have been $153,000 raised as a result of their efforts. So it's really good to see that effort, see people pulling their weight, not just talking. And the companies, whether they're firearms manufacturers or ammunition companies, they should be applauded. And I've seen several gun control supporters say, you'll never see me supporting this, but in this exception for Ukraine's plight, I will support it. But I think you have to think even beyond that, that this is imperative, even domestically speaking. You shouldn't be inconsistent in support of this. It, Ukraine's plight is teaching us how important it is to have the Second Amendment and hopefully be a teachable moment for European lawmakers to not strip people of guns, especially in wake of this very, very horrible circumstance. And I wanted to conclude by saying this again, honing in back why this is so important about recognizing how good we have it with respect to the Second Amendment. And this comes from Black Rifle Coffee Company CEO Evan Hafer, who just wrote an op-ed in the Washington Examiner called Ukraine's Experience Shows Why Every Country Needs a Second Amendment. What's unfolding in Ukraine is an illustration of why we need to defend the Second Amendment vigorously. It is true civilians are no match for the power of a modern military. However, no army wants to invade a country in which every member of the population can kill its soldiers. It's a force projection nightmare that vastly increases the cost of taking and holding territory, especially in urban areas. Armed civilians act as both a deterrent and a desperate last resort for resisting an occupier. This is why Switzerland and some other countries have made civilian firearm ownership a core part of their defense strategy. It is also why it's enshrined as a natural right in Americans' founding documents. The left will have you believe that nothing in the U.S. Constitution provides an individual the right to own a firearm. I'm going to skip over, and then he says, In short, they would have been better prepared to defend their country when the time came. Ukrainians have an outstanding leader in Zelensky, but they should not have been helplessly reliant on their government to arm them at the 11th hour. Americans and Ukrainians alike should remember this the next time their politicians tell them they don't need to own guns. Great column. I hope you read it in full. I just gave you guys a snapshot version as to what the contents were. But I gave you a little history lesson on Ukraine. I talked about how there's a lot of similarities between them and the United States in terms of self-preservation, how oddly enough, in the event of this emergency that they were able to have their gun rights given to them, which is a sad indictment of what it is 
it shouldn't take an emergency for people to keep and bear arms. And I think Ukrainians understand this more given their history of occupation, illegal occupation by Nazis and Soviets. Now with their struggle to maintain their independence from Kremlin-backed forces and politicians and Vladimir Putin, and what it takes to be able to ensure that the country remains free. And now we're all seeing this kind of come together with civilians even taking up arms and wanting to defend their country. And even American veterans, military personnel going from the states to Ukraine because they see the need on a voluntary basis to help them keep their country safe. So it's amazing and commendable what this country does and what our country does. And the fact that people, veterans and maybe retired military personnel are going to Ukraine to help them repel Russian forces is amazing. This is why the Second Amendment is extremely important. Why Ukraine, we want to root for Ukraine to win and keep their independence. And why it shouldn't take an illegal invasion by Russia for countries to keep and bear arms. So that is what we have for you today. I hope it made sense. I hope it was concrete enough explaining what is happening. And we can explain the energy side. I think I'll explain the energy side a bit more because a lot of people finally are recognizing that if you transition away from fossil fuels, you become reliant on enemy nations like Russia. And there's even talk of Venezuela and Saudi Arabia now as countries we're going to look to to supply our oil and gas reserves, which is insane. To begin with, this administration is refusing to look here at home to open up reserves to work with oil and gas companies to ensure cheap energy and cheap fuel are accessible to the public. And it's really detrimental to see that they don't recognize that energy independence is a national security issue. It's far more important than climate change being a national emergency. And I think that point can be debatable and debunked because a lot of these climate policies have invited our reliance on other countries, especially adversaries. So there's much to be discussed in terms of this angle, but here's the Second Amendment version. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of District of Conservation. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you're following the podcast on your preferred player. We recommend Apple because that's where the largest share of our listenership hails from. And you can also find us on Spotify and dozens of other platforms. Make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement. And please, 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 Go leave us some reviews on Apple and Spotify. Those help us go a long way in seeing how far we can go and measure our progress. So we really appreciate that. If you enjoy this podcast, please share the word with your friends. Share links to individual episodes and to the podcast. Want to appear on the podcast? Have an interesting story to tell? I'm all ears. Shoot me a message and we'll do our best to process your request.